You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts, literally, to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. I often get asked what the job of the director is. There's the obvious answer, to be the one person who has the big picture in mind, to know how everything interconnects, to have a unified vision to share with all the artists, actors, and technicians, to know what the movie is from all angles, and to be able to articulate it and answer the hundreds of questions that need answers from every direction. But there's an even simpler answer. To find, encourage, and allow the best people to do their best work. A director can't do it all, but he or she can recruit the best talent available to him or her to inspire them, to make them feel they're doing something special. I've been lucky to work with some pretty amazing actors and artists. They are the heroes, the ones who actually do the heavy lifting, actors laying themselves physically bare before the cameras, the cinematographers who weave images with light and shadow, the production designers, the composers, the prop builders, the VFX artists. But so very often, the superstars of the horror genre are the makeup effects artists. They make the monsters that inspire our nightmares, create creatures that become iconic visions that chill and inspire. As great as the computer-generated effects have become, there's something so liberating for an actor and a crew to have the actual creatures or their mayhem on the set, right there, for real, reflecting light from its slime-covered latex, interacting with the characters, instilling fear in and out of the shadows. I've been particularly fortunate in working with some of the world's greatest makeup effects artists. You met the Oscar-winning Howard Berger on an earlier show. We have another Oscar winner on our show today. We worked together on two Stephen King miniseries, The Stand and The Shining, which both won him an Emmy. William Corso, sorry, but I have to call him Billy, has, like Howard, become one of the best of the best. We'll talk about Billy's life in makeup and the work we've done together after this. It's 2020, and surfing the web is dead. All the horror news you need is now just one click away. Fangoria.com is your first destination for all the horror news of the day, featuring a constant curation of the Fango team's favorite links from across the Internet. You'll also find deep dives and daily thoughts from the biggest names in horror, as well as exclusive access to the Fangoria Vault. Check out Fangoria.com for yourself and see the horror right before your eyes. Use promo code POSTMORTEM for 15% off right now. From director Joe Begos comes Fangoria's latest movie, VFW. It's like John Carpenter directed an Expendables movie, except with a lot more mutants, drugs, insanity, and heart. A group of war veterans must defend their local VFW posts and an innocent teen against a deranged drug dealer and his relentless army of punk mutants. The cast includes pretty much anyone who was ever in something you rented at Blockbuster. Stephen Lang, Martin Cove, William Sadler, Fred the Hammer Williamson, George Went, and David Patrick Kelly. Now streaming on demand. So get on it. So, Billy, you were practically born a monster fan. I mean, your whole life has been devoted, if not dedicated, to creating creatures and, and loving them. 
which was the first one that caught your heart? It's interesting. My dad will tell stories that I was drawing all sorts of, of, of scary faces and whatnot when I was like two or three, like this second I can hold a pencil. Um, I, I remember, I remember getting, uh, slippers with, um, I'm trying to remember what was on them, um, with some character on them and asking, not being old enough to draw anything that looked like anything and like maybe four and asking my mom to try and draw it for me just so I could have it on a piece of paper and uh. play with it. Um, I'm trying to think of the very first ones. So, mm, it must have been, it was the first thing was probably I, 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 you know, the, as soon as I got to school, and I was yeah. I was afforded a library to go to, and mm-hmm. I and I somehow immediately gravitated towards horror books. I don't know why. Like I don't know how that jumped out at me, but I got books. It's on, a common thread amongst a lot of us. It, it's amazing. Kids. Yeah. But I remember having a a book on horror movies, and there being a photograph of <laughs> Dracula's castle, and oh. drawing like in every book I drew Dracula's castle. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and, you know, and then of course, uh, you know, I would draw, I would draw, I, then, and then ultimately that led way to Frankenstein and, and everything else. Um, so the universal monsters were all the universal kind of monster stuff. Drug. And, and I, again, and I was quite young and it was sparked by, uh, and I don't know, I was a TV kid. I grew up right. in front of the TV. Like every waking minute I can remember was in front of a TV. Sounds familiar. Yeah. And somehow the, that, the Sunday morning, because you're, you're just in front of the TV on Sunday mornings. Uh, cartoons were on Saturday. Right. But Sunday mornings were all about the creature features, you know, right. that were on. Um, now, you were born in New Jersey, but you grew up in Florida before coming to California. I grew up in Florida. Yeah. And, and, and Florida, was that was, you know, I was, I was five or six. So that was when I, I, I remember physically sitting down. My, my, probably the very first TV moment I remember was uh, staying up one night. My mom and dad let me stay up and... Um, Dr. Doolittle was on uh-huh. and I went to bed with this. I remember falling asleep in front of the TV, but I went to bed with this image of the giant snail at the end that they ah, get okay. into and thinking that was so fantastic. That and like, the push me, pull you. Oh yeah. my God. And I was like, what <laughs> is this? Like, this is phenomenal. And it was, and I'd seen that cause everything was on TV at that time. There was right. only reruns. I, I'd never, I don't even remember what my, uh, uh, I remember going to the movies after that, but this mm-hmm. was really early. Um, and I saw The Wizard of Oz not soon after that. And that was right. another every like, year that life play, changing. Yeah. yeah, you just wait every year for that to come back on. Um, so though th- that informed everything I did. And most of it started with drawing. It was I drew constantly. And that's all I drew. Now, was your family artistic? My dad was a plumber. Um, and who could, but an artistic, artistic plumber. (laughs) He was very good with his hands. And to this day, I'm I'm constantly complimented on how clean I am. And I always refer back to my dad (laughs) who, uh, would come home spotless after a day of the plumber who smelled good. He smelled good. He just, he would come home with a white crisp white shirt and he, after lying in gutters all day long. And and, and I found one day I realized his secret was he would, before getting in the house, he would change his shirt and he would clean himself up. So he walked in the house all clean. I always thought he was just spotless constantly. Right, so he was Mr. Clean. It's yeah. been my mantra to always main, dress nice and have, be very clean as I work. No well, we'll talk about bloody. the dressing nicely, too, uh, back <laughs> yeah, from the stand when of, I met you. Lots yeah. of that. So, yeah. um, And then my mom, uh, at the time, was a, was a homemaker. She didn't, she didn't work. Um, 
uh, as a child of the 70s and 80s, you know, my parents were got divorced like m- most people's parents. Right. Um, and they're still very close. And uh, but I so I grew up. So I was with my mom and my mom then eventually went to work. Um, but uh, it was more as a secretary type stuff. Were but you my an mom, only child? Uh, no, I have a younger brother. OK. Um, but my mom was uh, uh, artistic in that she could like I said, she would I would ask her to sketch something out for me. So she had a little bit of talent. Um, but nothing that I was ever aware that she did anything with. Right, and um, nothing that she had ever studied no, or no, put no. time and yeah. energy into. No, um, she was born in New York City, like my dad, and the two of them, Italians, all from New York. And, uh-huh, yeah. and they just, uh, you know, they, they that was their thing. They just got married and, <laughs> yeah, and went <laughs> that to was work. their career. Yeah, and my dad would be the, yeah, the breadwinner. But um, no, I, it's funny, you know, people always ask me, how'd you get into this? And I go, well, you grow up this odd loner usually you know you're into yes. this weird thing you 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 you're into horror movies you're into monsters we weren't popular you're yeah you're you're the <laughs> only one who's yep. into this and then eventually by the time i got to high school i found one other guy who was aware of like Fangoria, and who was aware of yeah. you know movies that i liked well and you were lucky to found i found, found one yeah and we sympathical. and we bonded you know incredibly yeah. um but you you're this isolated individual and and you move out to California. I, I moved out to California eventually. You moved out on your own. I moved out on my own. Yeah. And and eventually, you know, after years, get your foot in the door and you meet other like, you know, effects guys. And, mm-hmm. and you realize that every single one was exactly the same. Right. Like we all grew <laughs> up true. all around the country yeah. with exactly the same childhood. I and, wanted to do that. When I was a kid, <laughs> I wanted to either make cartoons or be a makeup artist. Well, so, yeah. I, I was, I'm surprised now having been in the business for a while and meeting lots of people, how many amazing filmmakers... Guillermo being an obvious one, right? But J.J. Yeah. Abrams, I mean, so many uh, filmmakers, you, musicians, uh, even uh, 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 Michael Giacchino, a composer, right, wanted to right. be a makeup. Yeah. So many of them wanted to be makeup artists that loved yeah. makeup effects and everything, and just gravitated into another. another yeah, it's form. part of the magic. It's, yeah. a, it's, 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 it's fascinating it's, to me. Yeah. And uh, so you came out on your own, uh, but. You and I also share something that inspired us. Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein is one of the movies I've seen more than any other in my life. And it kind of was the nail in the coffin of the universal horror movies, of the universal monsters and the like. But there's something so fantastic about that. And tell me how it inspired you. you that, when I saw, and again, I saw that probably when I was like six. Right. <laughs> and me too <laughs> that was my it honestly was my intro into that you know i could have been five actually because i that was my it wasn't straight out horror so it was funny right. and as a kid that was a great segue into oh my god this this was it just it it spoke to me in such a way that movie and and then i devoured then it uh, it upset me when the following week an Abbott and Costello movie would come on without a monster. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, what's, what's this? Yeah, yeah. Thing, well, I don't understand. Don't they all have monsters <laughs> yeah. in them? Because a lot of them did. Yeah, there was that. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and there yeah, was the, the Mummy Invisible and Man, the Invisible the Man. Yeah. And, and, and it's fantastic. Oh. So you, but those movies, so, and, and for some reason, ever since then, uh, I've always gravitated towards a horror comedy and things with, the, the combination of the two. Yeah, what are the ones that work for you? Because most horror comedies are neither funny nor scary. But there's no, something but there like are, an American werewolf. There are gems, Fright Night. You know, Fright there Night, are some sure. that are just, that work beautifully, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, and I love it, you know, uh, Evil Dead 2, Army, Evil uh-huh. Dead 2. And there are some that are just genius, you know, um, yeah. great fun. 
Uh, and I always love, I always love those. I love the the, the howling has even got fun, you know. Absolutely, fun that's a great one. Tons of great black and not comedy. just because I'm in it. Yeah, but... <laughs> exactly. Gremlins. I mean, there's <clears throat> Ghostbusters for me. Yeah. It's a really big deal. Uh, you know, again, anything that had the 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 scary, the spooky, with the funny was that was uh, just sugar to me. Well, your first credit was on uh, Garbage Pail Kids, and you worked with John Beekler, who who yeah. passed away not too long ago. Uh, Beekler was. You know, and I think I had mentioned it to you. I mean, at the time, you know, Roger, everybody quotes Roger Corman as like the beginning of their film career. Like right. Roger Corman was this this fueling ground for filmmakers. John Beekler was like that for makeup artists. You know, mm. I went right out of, I went to a makeup school and right out of the makeup school. Which one? Uh, Joe Blasco's Makeup Center. Oh, okay. Which at the time was like the one to go Joe to. Joe was on my old Z Channel show. It was fantastic. Yeah. And Joe, and what, what was... And what I appreciated, and, and, and they told you when you went into the school, it's like, look, you know, you're a monster kid and you want to do these makeup effects. Well, there's no money in that. You know, this is, this is not, that's not what this business is about. You have to learn how to do beauty makeup and you have to learn how to do all kinds of makeup. You know, there's, there's very little money in that. So you had to be a well-rounded, which I was all in on. I, I wanted to be a very well-rounded Artist. Sure. I mean, later on, you'd work with somebody nev- like Harrison Ford and you'd do never know. his straight makeup for <laughs> Not that 15 I would have movies. thought yeah. that ever. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. So, but the school was very big on learning everything. And, but, but what was exciting for me, uh, you know, being in the school, and there, you know, there was probably 30 girls and two or three guys. <laughs> yes. um, and the three guys or four guys were into horror. And then we, we were right. the effects guys. Yeah. Um, but Joe had done, you know, like, uh, you know, he had worked on... Uh, he did Shivers. Cronenberg and, stuff, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, he, and he was very proud to say he came up with Bladders before Dick Smith, you know. Right. And, and, he, and if you look back, he did come up with some really clever things. And, oh, yeah. And, uh, and he loved old school makeup. You know, he loved... He, you know, there were he, other... He was into Jack Pierce. I know he, he used loved Jack, Jack Pierce. Recreated Jack Pierce Absolutely. And he, you know, he had a monster week. You know, in his course, you know, and a couple of the other schools that were available didn't have a monster week. Right. You know, that was where a week where you actually did a, a, like a, a cotton and latex Frankenstein. Or right. Some, and I did a Bride of Frankenstein, you know, which <laughs> I thought course. would be really fun. Um, so that was fabulous. You know, he, he really encouraged that, you know. Um, so, so, yeah, so that so I came out of that with with that love with that love and met I met a few guys. But uh, with Beekler. So yeah. Beekler. um I when I a, a friend of mine in class got a job at Beekler's and I was mm-hmm. so envious of him because and Beekler did mostly really low very budget low budget films. stuff yeah. but for some reason he employed amazing artists I, I later found out why his work was was what you know I my friend and I was a I consider myself a, a such a fan a fanboy a, a you know geek as it is but I would know everybody's names like right. uh, many many of my uh, you know cohorts. You, they wouldn't know, you know, every makeup artist that worked on or every effects guy. I knew everybody's names because yeah, I would just study the, the, the main guy. Exactly. Yeah. So my friend who would go to work there and he'd say, yeah, I'm working with this guy, you know, Jeff Kennemore. And I'd go, oh, my God, Jeff Kennemore sculpted on the thing, you know, and, <laughs> and I knew everybody. And, and I'm like, that's amazing. So can I meet you for lunch? You know, I was so envious. And I would go meet him for lunch and and I would meet these guys and. And uh, and I would I would try to bring something to show them. It's like like I made this sculpture. What do you think? Oh, that's really good. You know, and like I had no way to gauge where I was at. And how old were you when? Oh, this when was when I I'd, I'd moved out here and I'd been out a couple of years. So this is probably seven eighteen eighteen. It's right yeah. around when I was eighteen years old. Okay, so maybe seventeen eighteen eighteen. And um, but then I found out. So so a sculptor that was there was Mitch Devane. Now Mitch Devane is one of the 
the greatest sculptors in our business. He worked for Rick Baker. He worked for Greg Canham, everybody. Um, the guy sculpts, like he'll sculpt the face and you'd swear it was a life cast. I mean, it's wow. just, he's unparalleled. And, and I think Mitch was there and I believe it was Mitch. And Steve Wang, who worked there. I mean, everybody worked there. So and Mitch had sculpted something. And I think at one point, Beekler came up to correct something that Mitch had sculpted and with a fork. And he just started fixing it with a fork and because uh, uh, it happened to be on the desk. And I thought, okay, that's why. <laughs> that's, right. Then maybe that's why things look the way they do. John had a stamp. And if you look at his <laughs> yes. work, it all has his stamp on it, which is fun. I mean, those he corrects are, it. He corrects <laughs> yeah. it. He corrects it his way. Right. He put his, his signature on it. Um, but yet, all these great guys were there. And, and How did you get the job? Well, well, that's just it. So I was visiting my friend for lunch, and, and my friend said, look, the guy they got painting is not so good, and they have to paint these eyes, you know, the eyes for the Garbage Pail Kids. And mm-hmm. I, as a lover of all things macabre, love the Garbage Pail Kids cards. <laughs> and I go, my Garbage Pail Kids, that's so cool. And, and he goes, do you want to paint the eyes? And he, he went up to Beekler, and he said, so my friend's a really good painter, and my ex-roommate is my roommate at the time. And he goes, and, and would you let him paint the eyes? And he goes, sure. And I said, can I take them back to my apartment those are all my paints and so I took them back to my a little room and I painted these eyes in a day and I brought them back and that and that was that was my involvement on the movie that was it that the was eyes. all I did uh-huh. and then my friend told me like two days later he goes well somebody somebody poured up the eyes with epoxy and and did it wrong and there's bubbles all over it and you can't see your paint job at all so they look horrible I'm so sorry and I was like oh so sad and then the movie came out I actually went to visit him on set which was a very high point for me because I got to meet Anthony Newley. Oh wow! Who had, yeah, who had been in you know, it, uh, it, it been in in, in um, um, uh, uh, oh my god, um, uh, Doctor Doolittle, which I right, was, of yeah, course, very excited about. So, and that was really exciting. He to was a the, singer that David Bowie emulated a, early in his career. Oh my god! And yeah. and sang, you know and, and wrote the you know uh, Willie Wonka. Yeah, all the songs. Were all Willy the Wonka. songs. Amazing! Another one of my favorites. So. Um, so that was really fascinating. It was one of the first sets I'd ever been on. And that was amazing to see all the characters in their costumes. And, and lo and behold, the movie comes out and I had a screen credit for painting those eyeballs. Which, took me <laughs> which like looked hours, like shit. <laughs> my very first screen credit. <laughs> oh. oh. So that eventually led you into the remake of The Blob, working with Tony Gardner on that. So tell me how that came about. Well, Because uh, that was... That was a big step. That was a big from step. garbage pail to that was that. a huge step. Yeah. Well, I had been slowly trying to get get in with other people and 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 to shops and everything. And again, one of the guys who went to Blasco's, my, a very good friend of mine, Russell Seifert, and Russell was a a go to lab guy. Like Russell had worked, he's worked for all these uh, Matthew Mungle, and he worked on Return of the Living Dead Part Two, and he was getting a name and being a great mold maker, and he's really good. And he was getting called because the, the, a gentleman was coming to town to interview for this movie, The Blob, and it was Lyle Conway, who had just come off of Little Shop of Horrors, which, again, being a fan, I was, you know, and he had done Dark Crystal and Labyrinth, all yeah, the big hits. he was amazing. He was amazing. Yeah. Uh, huge fan. So he was coming to town because he had done all his movies in London, in England, with British crews, but he was going to do this movie in L.A., and he needed an L.A.-based crew. And this and was s- Chuck Russell directing from a script by, by Frank Darabont. Frank Darabont, yeah. yeah. And and so none of which I knew at the time, but that became a huge deal later. So 
So he he was going he was telling me and bragging to me, and we were roommates at the time that he was going to go in an interview for this movie with Lyle Conway. And I and again, being a fan, I begged him if I could go with him to the interview. I go, well, he's just interviewing people. He goes, yeah, but he wanted me. And I go, well, he doesn't know anybody. I go, maybe <laughs> he could meet me too. You know, um, absolutely. So he, he ultimately relinquished and took me with him. <laughs> right. And he went in and interviewed with Lyle, and then and then I went in and sat down with Lyle, and I, you know. And after a few moments of like, oh, my God, I think you're amazing. And I'm such a fan. And, you know, uh, not that you want to be that guy, but I was. And, <laughs> and, um, and then he explained what he was doing. And he's like, look, he goes, they basically picked me for this job because the Little Shop Horrors plant had tentacles and this blob has tentacles. You know, and that's I have no idea what I'm we're going to do. Well, the puppeteering of the Little a, Shop of Horrors of is Audrey bar is none amazing. There's nothing yeah. like and it. I, and a lot of his thought process is what they were buying into. You know, he, he thought he could do big. And he could mm. do a, elaborate, and he was very clever. One of the most amazing things he did on Little Shop was he used nothing wet because a lot of the plant stuff was made out of uh, uh, material. He mm. put glitter on it, which photographed like it was ah. wet, which was just phenomenal. And the fact that they undercranked and shot things backwards and reverse, right. and it was all this brilliant stuff. So all of that he brought to the table. Um, and it and helps that Frank Oz directed that, who was a puppeteer. A puppeteer, yeah. you know. So they were all in. It was all about the performer in that movie. So again, and Lyle brought that. And, and so in the conversation with him, it was ultimately, I don't know what I'm going to do. What I'm looking for are artists who are thinkers and who will come up with ideas. And, and I had no set skill like a mold maker. I, was, I, was a, I could do a little bit of everything. And I, was, I think we connected on a, on a creative level. Hmm. So I got a job. And Russell did not, because there were no molds to be made. <laughs> right. And this <clears throat> Which, was before Tony was hired? This was, no, Tony had already been hired. So it, That's a little interesting story. I'm sure Tony could elaborate on it uh, at one point. But they originally um, wanted to go for Greg Canham, mm-hmm. but um, uh, they, they went to Tony and said, um, um, I think Greg had won a lot of money. And Tony at that time was almost like, like a very high up and. and Greg shop and right, so would you be but interested? very young, yes, and just very kind of young. breaking into running his own exactly. Stuff. And would you be interested in doing this? And Tony said, uh, Yes, I would. <laughs> and so they gave Tony the job. So Tony was already on, and Tony's job was all of the makeup effects and all of the stuff that would happen to the people that got melted by the blob. And Lyle's position was the blob itself, and what right. was it, and how it would do what it did. And it was constantly in a state of flux, it was changing. It was every shot was a different. A different medium, a different and, block, a different yeah. way to do it, and my 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 singular memory of the of the eight months that I was on it, which of course is a thousand memories, but the most important was the <laughs> first day, and we, you know, again hadn't met Frank and hadn't met uh, Chuck, and but the Lyles, we know we we went into a sixty thousand square foot shop off of Hollywood Boulevard, and this wow. is my first big job, and I was yeah. very excited and very nervous. And it's a and studio movie. It's yeah. a big studio movie. It's a big deal, and. Um, Lyle was the first, and I wanted to impress him. He was the first famous big makeup effects guy that I had met. And we walked into the shop and, and there was Tony Gardner who I knew of. And, and, uh, there was a, a, a craft table on one side of the shop and a, and a wooden craft table on the other side of the shop. And Tony was over there with Sean McEnroe and, uh, um, uh, Sean McEnroe, uh, Sean McEnroe and, um, Jack Bricker and a lot of Rick Baker's guys. A lot of the guys who were am- yeah. famous guys. Yeah. Uh, and I was, again, I'm like looking over there going, Oh my God, I was just in awe. This is like 88, right? This is, yes, this is 88, yeah. maybe end of 87, 88. Yeah. And so then on our side was, there was six or seven of us and the guys I didn't know, um, 
uh, but I would become lifelong friends with. There was a guy named Richie Alonzo from New York uh, that was a Dick Smith protege. Mm. And there was a uh, there was a mechanical designer named Mark Satrekian who who was you know just come from ILM and um, and so a, a, a very ragtag group of guys. And Lyle basically went around this table of us and said and gave each of them a job. He was like you know you guys Mark and and Dave you're gonna set up a mechanical shop because we got to make tentacles and our um, Richie, there's a scene where the blob comes up out of a sink and grabs a guy and jerks him down. He goes, why don't you sculpt a little clay maquette of that? We can show the producers. He goes, and then uh, Doug, uh, he goes, there, Greg Jean is going to be doing miniatures. Wow. An Who entire had Close Encounters. Close Encounters and, stuff, yeah. and, uh, of 1941, the, yeah. the greatest the miniature best. maker. Um, so that got me all excited. <laughs> and he goes, uh, there's a lot of coordination between us and him. You coordinate with him on all the miniature stuff we're going to be needing to make, and wow. and then um, he goes, you know, Adam. There's a Dick Smith has recommended this bizarre new material, the material that was inside uh, like uh, ice packs. Methacel? No, it was called Aquapole, which was oh, this okay. weird, completely toxic thing. <laughs> oh, but uh, he goes, let's get some of that and play with it and see what it does. Um, and then it was me. And then, <laughs> and then he goes, Bill. He goes, there's a scene where the blob comes up out of the sewer and and uh, crawls up to a phone booth with a woman inside and it, it grow, goes on the phone booth, it crushes her inside the phone booth and then goes back into the sewer. Memorable. And I, my eyes got really big and he goes, figure out how to do that shot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I was like, uh, what, what is the blob? And he goes, I don't know. Whatever you want it to be. <laughs> he goes, come up with like five different things and we'll wow. pick one. And his suggestion was, he goes, maybe we fill up some bags of material with slime and uh, and put some clear spheres in it so it's not really heavy and it'll give it some weird shapes. Um, and it's funny. So listening to uh, your, you had a great podcast with Chuck Russell and Chuck goes on to say in his podcast interview that he saw some initial tests uh, that were fantastic and amazing that we were never able to replicate. Well, I did those tests. <laughs> and and in one week, I had, I created a little foam core street with a phone booth and did a little test, which I shot in reverse with the little video cameras we bought. And I and I edited it. And, and it was a little nylon sock filled with slime that I wrapped around the phone booth. And then I pulled in reverse and it went backwards Uh and into the gutter, but in reverse and in slow motion. And I ramped it up and it would send out little tendrils and pull itself along. And and it did all this amazing stuff, which we've never could replicate with the real, because the real stuff was slime and and methicillin. And methicillin, of course, you couldn't shoot in reverse because it would leave a trail of methicillin. And the slime, the problem with the slime was it didn't have scale. So you couldn't mm. shoot it in miniature. It had no, it was too smooth. Oh, it didn't scale up. Whereas right. the methicel in a bag created wrinkles and that gave it a bigger, much bigger scale. So anyway, I thought that was very amusing. <laughs> yeah. So great test. What did you do in, in the blob that survived? So ultimately what happened was, and, it, and it, it's a big behind the scenes Hollywood. It was a big intro into how Hollywood works, which was, we worked in principal photography, and, I'm, and, and Chuck had mentioned, and, and it's true, that the large-scale blob pieces were very difficult to manage because they were big, giant, basically quilts of silk mm-hmm. uh, uh, that were filled with methicel, which made them hundreds of pounds. Right. And we would try to lay them on top of things. And we, it at one point, we, amazing. We, it looks cool, but it looked very organic. At one point, we actually experimented with getting dancers from Caltech and putting them in a blob suit. <laughs> 
and we put four young little like dancers in this suit and we covered them with this quilt and they would move around and it looked amazing until they uh, until it just flattened out and we're like wow that's amazing and it flattened out until we realized they couldn't breathe because the quilt had cut off all oxygen (laughs) so um yeah so that didn't work we didn't do a, a blob suit but um ultimately what happened was we finished principal photography and at that point i was working literally seven days a week 24 hours a day maybe mm-hmm. 23 and a half hours a day yeah. i would sleep under a, a table yeah. you know and again we were all doing this to impress our boss um and we were very understaffed and were you of, working directly for tony i was working directly or for, for lyle, lyle. Okay. lyle was again handling all the blob stuff tony was on Tony's side, they were sculpting melted bodies, and they were doing all the right. stuff I Destroyed wished I was doing, and, all yeah. the cool stuff. And I was like, why can't I be over there? <laughs> and I'm covered in – every day I'm covered in slime. Um, and then at the end of principal photography – and we, and mind you, we still had four months of post-production, which right. was all the mini- – three months of all the miniature work, which uh, was the majority of our work. Right. The tedium. All the tedium uh, um, with the Greg Jean and everything. And – uh, we, uh, a gentleman came to the shop and, and I knew who he was. His name was, uh, Stuart Siff. And he came along with another gentleman who I didn't know and whose name was Mike Fink, who's a visual effects supervisor. And they called our, our side of the shop into the office and they said, uh, Lyle, ha- your boss has been let go oh. because, uh, you're, we're falling behind. We don't think he's managing you very well. We know you guys are working very hard. And <laughs> yeah. 23 and a half, 23 hours, and a half a hours a day. And yeah. we think that. We can help you, but we need to change the way it's all set up. And Stuart's come in to now make this more efficient, try to try to get you guys back on track. And I was almost the only person at that point who really knew what was every shot was and what was going on. No one else. Everybody had a little job. Mine was a tier above where I was overseeing a lot of things. Right. And I was 18. And this is your first time. I was 18 years old movie. on my yeah. first movie. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And uh, way in over my head. Um, and I remember them, uh, this guy, Mike taking me outside and saying, uh, and I was shocked because again, I, Lyle was one of my heroes and I, and I was I just stunned. Yeah. It and must've he been goes, heartbreaking. Very heartbreaking. And, and I just didn't know what to do and how you could finish the movie. And, and, and I go, what, uh, I go, what do we do? And he goes, well, he goes, you're one of the only people who knows what we're doing. He goes, no one else has any idea what you guys are doing. <laughs> so he it goes, was that compartmentalized where you do this shot, you do yeah, this shot. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. It, even less so it was. It was, you know, you're sewing quilts, you're making tentacles, you're, but I was the one person who knew what the actual sequences were and what we were making for each sequence and what the gag was. At 18. Um, At 18 years old. And so he said, what do you need from me? What do you need to make, finish the movie? And I said, well, we need, we only have two painters. I need like five, six painters and we need people sewing and we need this and that. And what I would do is from that point, I would, I would supervise in the shop uh, uh, well, I would go to set and supervise all the puppeteering. We would wound up having three different units puppeteering at the same time. And I would run from set to set to set. And then I would go back at night and be in the shop all night supervising what was being built for the next day. Um, and I remember being on set and I remember Chuck, you know, basically yelling at us because nothing, something wasn't working right <laughs> or it wasn't pu- being puppeteered right. So ultimately what would happen is I would get under a table a miniature set, you know, with these, you know, these giant cow plastic gloves, basically giving cow enemas, put these giant (laughs) plastic gloves on and you'd stick your hands up through the set and you, they'd put this giant quilt of, of blob silk on you that looked, it looked like intestines all turned inside. Right. It was just, and it was a beautifully painted China silk with painted with veins and all, and all, you know, speckled with beautiful colors. And, and all these little pockets were filled with methicillin 
and it looked just amazing. And then you would get underneath it and you would just, you know, Manipulate. become six years old again and go, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and that's literally the blob at the whole end of the movie. And half the shots are me, you know, just making <laughs> little hands. faces with my hand and everything. Um, yeah. And so. Senior Wences. Senior Wences. And, and that was it. And I finished that movie and with almost half dead because it was just such a, it was such a, uh, it was a real trial by fire. You know, right. learning experience. And you're inventing technology the whole way through. Yeah. And again, ultimately wished I was with Tony and <laughs> right, doing, doing the fun what stuff. I'd grown up wanting to do. And here right. I was, you know, completely covered in crusty slime every day. Well, you got time and again, you got amazing opportunities. And probably the next big opportunity was working for Rick Baker. Yes. Uh, so tell uh, me how that came about. Inc- well, look, incredibly lucky. I mean, you hear stories about, again, you know, the, the engineer getting discovered on Hollywood Boulevard. Right. I, my dream was to work for Rick. My dream was to work for Rick and then become like a Rick Baker artist, you know, and, and have a shop and a studio. And, right. And I mean, the first guy to do that was Tom Savini. Yeah. Uh, Dick Smith, of course, on the studio level in an entirely mm-hmm. different way. But Savini was kind of the first rock star makeup artist. Then yeah. Rick. And Rick, well, Rick did it. I mean, if you think back, as far as I can remember, Rick was the first makeup artist that I had ever seen who got publicity. Right. Like back, uh, like Life Magazine did it. Remember, they did a spread oh, on yeah. American World in London back in yeah. the 80s. And into. the first guy to win the Oscar for doing right. this stuff. And, and even he got, and he was Rick Baker, Monster Maker, back in Famous Monsters. Yeah. Even before Star Wars, they yeah. did articles on him. So, oh, yeah, when he was doing Octoman. Yeah, and so, like and, and, yeah. And, and like all of our peers and like you, you know, I, again, I grew up on Famous Monsters and, and there would be an article on Rick and you would see his work and, you know, and, and then, you know, you go to the newsstand and then I cut my, like Starlog catches my eye and you've got like Rick on the cover with the yeah. incredible melting man. And, and again, yes. that's before Star Wars and before then King Kong came out and it was like, oh my God. And, you know, so I had obsessed on Rick from day one. Um, like this is a guy who's doing, you know, that, and again, it was easy for like, again, a kid like me who's growing up in his, in his, in his bedroom making all this weird stuff and which seems so obscure until you show mom and dad a magazine with this guy on the cover right. and he's making a big movie and my dad would say well this is a real job you could <laughs> do this you know don't it's not a, just kid stuff don't making be a monsters. plumber yeah. i mean you could be on the cover of a magazine you know? <laughs> and look how much fun he's having you know and so so rick was the thing and um but i didn't know how you know, there was no, unlike Dick Smith, whose phone number, God bless him, was listed. In yes. the phone book, Famously. Uh, yeah. Who I did call and I did have a long conversation with. Um, you couldn't call Rick. I mean, there, I had no idea how to get a hold of Rick. You know, that yeah. was my whole, you know, reason for being in L.A. Yeah. was to one day meet with Rick. Um, so here we are. We're, we're working. The blob is finished. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm now, you know, just trying to get, find another job. And, and for Halloween that next year, I, I, uh, I went dressed as to an industry, makeup industry, the makeup, you know, effects guys, you would have these parties. Oh, I remember those. Every costume was amazing, right? Yeah. And um, so I went to one of these parties and I was dressed as the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And (laughs) I'd done like a nose and I'd done, I thought I did quite a good job for an 18 year old. (laughs) Yes. And, and, uh, and I, and I went to Western costume and I made this and I made the big net and I made this, I had this great costume. And so I went to the party, and and what was entertaining was the drunker certain people got, the more I became the real guy. <laughs> would yeah. come up to me and go, "Oh my God, you're really him!" And and I had candy. I would give out candy, <laughs> lollipops, and you know, and I was in character, you know. Um, uh, and and event at one point in the party, uh, 
what I thought was a a like a a very scary vagrant biker guy, mm-hmm. very overweight, you know, like belly bursting out and a big beard and uh, a little scary and intimidating. Uh, you know, I see him in the party, and at one point he pushes me into a corner, and I'm petrified because I'm a little skinny guy, <laughs> and he he leans into me and he whispers to me, horrifyingly. Um, he goes, I like your makeup. And I go, uh, thank you very much. And he goes, you should come work for me. And, and I go, I go, okay. And then he just walks away. And I'm, and I quick enough, eventually after my initial fright to say, well, who are you? <laughs> and he goes, it's Rick Baker and uh. left. And I just stood there for like five minutes <laughs> in shock. Um, and, and again, not knowing. So at that point, a friend of mine was working there. Um, my same friend that took me to the, the blob interview. Yeah. Um, cause again, he was, Russell was very good. So I called Russell and I said, how do I, I, Rick said he wanted me to interview and he goes, well, you could call the shop and he would give me, he gave me the shop's number. I called the shop and I spoke to Bart Mixon, who was the shop. Oh yeah. One the of time. the Mixon twins. The great yeah. Mixon. And I went in for an interview and, and, uh, and they were doing, they had just started gremlins too. Ah. Uh, and they were doing the, they were still doing the initial design phase and he asked me to come in and sit down and Rick would look at my work, you know, and I came in and I, I presented my portfolio and, um, and, and, uh, and Bart looked at it all and I, and Rick never came in <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay, well, I got, you know, this is fine. And, and, and then I, and then I left, you know, and I'm like, well, I guess we'll see. And so I called up Russell that night and I said, well, I came in and I interviewed with Bart and I go, and what, how, you know, what, did you hear anything? He said, well, Rick, you know, I guess, I, I guess Bart talked to Rick and Rick walked around the shop and asked about you. <laughs> now I don't know anybody that works at Rick Baker's, you know, right. I, except for Russell, but apparently my reputation from the blob had preceded ah. me and, I, and, and it was that of an arrogant 18 year old <laughs> who was bossing people around and, and many people who I did not know said, no, no, he's a kind of an arrogant eighteen-year-old. Don't hire him. And I was mortified. Oh. I was like, "That's the end of my career." Like, I'm guys are saying, I don't even know. Like, don't 18. hire this guy. Yeah, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> and and I was like, "Well, Russ, you said something nice." And and he goes, "Well, yeah, I said something nice about you, but I don't know. Don't get your hopes up, you know." So the next day, I got a phone call saying, "Rick would like you to come in and 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 uh, sculpt a little something." So I went in the next day. And I, and I was actually let into the shop proper and saw mm-hmm. all the work and saw all the designs. And, and the gremlins, The too. gremlins. So maquette, massive. And there were thousands yeah. of maquettes. Yeah. Everyone better than the next. And, mm. and you had Steve Wang and Matt Rose and like, like all these, Norman Cabrera and all these amazing artists and Tom Hester and all the original guys. And, and I was just in awe of everything. And they, excuse me, they sat me at a table and they said, well, look, here's, here's some clay and here's, here's a gremlin head. Just sculpt some gremlin ears. And I go, okay. Um, and I was nervous as hell. And I, and I, uh, and I, 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 I got a, and I'd never sculpted. I, I felt like I'd never sculpted anything before in my right. life. It was and, always drawing. And I, well, yeah. I had sculpted and I thought, and, we, and up to that point I felt I was pretty good until I walked in the door <laughs> and I saw everything. And at that point I felt like I should, I've never picked up clay before in my life. And I, and they sh- and and Tom Hester uh, was this lovely, quiet. He had sculpted the full body for the uh, werewolf lying in the floor. Yeah, amazing sculptor. He was another of the thriller, a thriller, artists. the original yeah. guys. And he, he does. He comes out of the the, the crypt and the, mm-hmm. you know the, on the ground. So Tom 
saw me and saw my desperation. And he goes, you know, you can, uh, you can sink these little telescoping tubes in so you can put, pop the ears off after so we can mold them. And I go, oh, yeah, thanks. And then, and then uh, he said, you know, you can – and I chopped up clay and I was starting to like mo- – you know, soften the clay in my hands. He goes, you know, you don't have to do that. You can take the clay and put it in the oven and soften it <laughs> a little bit. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. Um, which I then later put a giant bunch of clay in the oven and forgot about it. <laughs> and when clay burns, it creates sulfur and it mm-hmm. smells. And I hear screaming like, who burnt the clay in the oven? So the day one, I was already thought I was fired. Um, and I, I had, by lunch, I had blocked out these really rough Kremlin ears. And I was feeling pretty good about it, you know, and they, and I, I'd taken some wax and I made the, you know, like the thick part and then the bottom part was going to be real thin with wax and I was feeling pretty good about it, but it's still a, just a, you know, like minutes into it. And I come back to my chair and, and there's Rick Baker for the first time, you know, I see, and he's sitting in my chair and Bart standing next to him and, uh, and they're looking at my, my just quickly blocked out rough piece of junk and, uh, and Rick's just shaking his head going, I don't know. I don't know if this we oh, need this guy. Ouch. And I got and and he waited till I was in the earshot, I think. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I go, well, wait, I I just started. And he goes, I don't know. I don't know if we, <laughs> I don't know if we need That's the Rick thing. And he just he <laughs> yeah. goes, and he looks at Bart, he goes, Do you sure you want we need this guy? And and Bart's like, I don't know. <laughs> and he was he goes, all right, let's see what he does. You know, and he <laughs> kind of walked away and and that began a series of Rick making sure that I didn't worship him anymore. <laughs> and and uh and that uh and that you know, just to just to mess with me, and I'm sure he does it with everybody, or maybe I was special, but yeah, it was <laughs> it was very funny. Then I finished, I literally finished them that day, and I was gonna show him and I'm show everybody that I could sculpt, and I, I I tried to look, I looked at all the other ears, and I basically tried to copy the other ears I saw, but bigger. And until then, one person came up to me and said, "You know, you should slow down. Like, don't try to impress anybody. Like, you, I think they're giving you two weeks to sculpt these ears, and yeah. I was done on the first day. So that was like, oh, it's different here." It's different in the big leagues than, yes. than what I'm used to. Yeah. You can take your time. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so that was, and that's the beginning of a, a, I mean, I've had such an amazing relationship with Rick over the years and I've worked with him on six movies and, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah he's been wonderful. Well, we first met, I inherited you. We, we hired XFX, Steve Johnson's company to do the stand. And I didn't know you were going to be part of the package and didn't know that you were going to be the guy who did all of the work on, you know, a huge amount of the work on the stand, all of the creative stuff. And what a great time. This was the the hardest job I've ever had in my life. It was a year of my life. Um, we shot for 100 days. Uh, we were on the road constantly. And when you're working these kinds of conditions, you need to be surrounded by people you can trust, A, and B, that you really have a good time with. Between you and me and Matt Frewer all doing voices and stuff, it was the most hilarious, wonderful way to spend a year on the road. We had a very good time on that movie. And it, 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 I mean, to, when you first came in, I remember, and I like Stephen King, and I'd read the books, and um, uh, uh, and you came in to talk to us. And, I, and, I, and again, and I, to go back to Steve, again, Steve was another one I was... Steve Johnson, I was a yeah. huge fan of, and again, yeah. and Steve and I had always been a fan of guys who did work that was really just stunning, like right. Rob Bottin's work is just oh, from yeah. a design Nobody perspective, there's, Sc- it's stunning. Screaming it's, Mad George, Screaming Mad George, yeah. but Steve and Steve's work, you know, his yeah. his work was always amazing. You know, he always did something that was you know um, above and beyond. You know, and so I was, it was a real pleasure. 
um, to, to go and work with him and, and to see his design process. And, and he had a great group of guys, I mean, that were very, very Absolutely. talented. And so you came in, you brought that script in, which was like a phone book. 460 I mean, It pages. was insane. <laughs> and Steve, I remember Steve giving me the script and saying, here, break this down. Like break down all the effects, and I and I and so I took that very See seriously. See in a month, yeah. yeah. I took that very seriously. I, I think I spent two weeks on, and I did like a twenty-page effects makeup breakdown of all the stuff that we had to do. Going, oh my god, over the course of four movies, basically, right. and it's like, oh my god, there's so much work in this movie, but so amazing, you know. Um, and at the time, you know, back then it was, and I don't know if we had the job initially right out of the gate. I mean. You bid on things like we all right. every movie was like we we knew we were up against two or three other people, so yeah. we would just do our best. So we would initially just start making stuff, making maquettes, and trying to do drawings and paintings to try to impress the filmmakers to get yeah. the job. You know, I had had worked with Tony Gardner on Psycho Four and then on Sleepwalkers, yeah. and then he was bidding and KNB was bidding, and then you know I knew Steve from Rick from Thriller. And so, do you remember? Is there something in particular that set us apart from all those other great? It really was a meeting, not so much the work, but just it was an understanding that you and Steve had of this. And you know, the KNB guys were fantastic, but it was so big, it felt like it was maybe a little too large in scope well, for them at, at the time. Yeah, and at the time, KNB wasn't what they obviously right. are they now. Were, yeah, they were small. Yeah. Uh, and great, very talented guys, but this seemed so massive. And Steve had done Ghostbusters, and you know he did some big shows. He had done big, The Abyss, and he'd done yeah, he's, big, he's big good. movies. And he and and Steve was known, and to to this day, I mean, he, Steve was very known for thinking outside the box. Right, like nothing he did was by like as 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 it's written or by the norm, you know. Um, so I, I give him that. He always thought of a way to elevate something, right. the simplest thing, whether it be a makeup or an effect or, you know, he, how can we make this better or different than this? Like, it's like watching a great comedian try to turn, you know, something into something much greater right. than what's written. And, and so we, tr- we did that. And initially a lot, like you think a lot of the work was all the bodies and the superflu and we right. made like 60 bodies or whatever it was, you know, I've got uh, two under the yeah, office here. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, when we did, and we, it was so much work was done with those. I was very excited about, you know, the makeups and obviously the flu victims, the, the flu victims, mother, the, Abigail. The mother Abigail was a really big deal the flag and all his looks. And, and I and, have these maquettes that you did of mother Abigail and yeah, the, flag right and we did tons of maquettes. Yeah. And again, many, great artists we had um uh norma carrera was one of the guys who sculpted i think he he sculpted the flag maquettes um uh, again based on steve would come up and say this is what i wanted that was what i wanted um but uh and then trash command you know which was you don't even know what trash command is but you know like what was that going to be but i remember doing a maquette of him mutated at the end like a small head of him um, those were Deadpool always, certainly is, is reminiscent of a little trash bit. Can. I gotta say, you can't. I can't look at the two and not say well, there's a little bit of that. Um, but yes, the, so there was so much involved in that. And then to be able to go to set. I mean, look, the wonderful thing about that movie, well, that which leads to an, an insane story, obviously, is is that it was a non-union movie. Because you know, back right. then we none of us were union. Yeah, we couldn't go on set and apply things. At the time, Steve was doing a lot of non-union movies, Night right. of the Demons and, and a lot of things. So you, Dead Heat, which were non-union movies. In Los Angeles, you could make a non-union, low-budget horror movie or something. Right. And when we started, 
it was all non-union, which was very yeah. exciting because that meant we could all go on set and apply the makeups and you didn't have to hire very expensive union makeup artists. Exactly. Um, which then became famous for the, you know, the stand on the stand because right. at, at, we're in Salt Lake and a lot of it was in Utah, which is a right to work state. And, yeah. And they tried, and the union came in and tried to organize us, exactly, which, they did. which was just a horrible <laughs> for us, especially, um, you know, just, you know, here we are wanting to do our work and wanting to work on the movie. And, and, and it was rough. In. They had all come from L.A. Oh. into, you know, all of the crew yeah. that were working in Salt Lake. They wanted to be there. And, you know, we were treating them as well as we could. But we had budgetary restrictions. Of that, course. Which we were happy yeah. to work on there. It was just yeah. it became that's where, again, the reality of filmmaking creeps in once in a while to the artistry. You know, where where here we are trying to do all this amazing stuff and something like that comes in and invades an otherwise blissful experience, you know, but you learn, I mean, every job, you know, we learn and something comes along that like, Oh, I haven't dealt with this before, you know? (laughs) And, um, and you know, we, and we all grew because of that. Um, and, uh, and, but ultimately that the making of that and the the length, the longevity of it, the friendships we all made. And, um, I remember my favorite memory when when you and I started to bond and cause again, I was the lead guy on set. Steve wasn't really there. Right. And I was helping coordinate everything. He was running his business. Yeah, he was. And we had, and at that, at that point when I started with him, he would do one show at a time. By the time the stand came along, you know, like a year or two into it, we started doing two shows at the same time or three, yeah. and there were, and he would you know be stretched a little thin. So and he would pick one to focus on or whatever. And I think he felt confident at that point. I'd risen to the point where he felt very confident if I was there that he was good, and and that he he would come. He and he knew he would come later for the flag stuff. Like I would be able to handle Mother Abigail and and right. uh, uh, Trash Game Man and. When when flag would start, he would come. Which we, which he did when when they did Jamie Sheridan, he would be there. Um, so because that was his favorite stuff, you know, he was the more oh, creepy, yeah. scary stuff. The horns, and, yeah. exactly. And uh, but what my favorite experience with you was, I uh, to that point had been so proud of, and it's just an obscure thing. Um, and I don't know if it's being a monster kid or whatever, but but um, and I and how I was raised. But I'd grown up again, isolated in what we do. But I also had like never smoked or drank or taken any drugs. Yeah. I was this pure entity in this crazy film business. Yeah. And you and I started talking one day and you're like, oh, me too. Like that came up. And I'm like, that's not possible. <laughs> to this like, day. How can you be such a cool guy? And, and you're the same way. And, and slowly but surely, you, and then you pointed out a couple of other people that were you know, that way. Yeah. And I eventually met a, 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 one of my best friends who's a, is an amazing musician, singer, Jess Harnell who's also the same way. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh my God, I met all these amazing people who are like, you know, they don't, they don't have to get drunk and they don't have to do drugs. And they, which I was so prevalent, you know, like evident, everybody was doing, you know, smoking and drinking and yeah. whatever and go, go out partying. And I'd be the one sober guy, you know, and <laughs> I uh, hear you. <laughs> yeah. And I always, I'd always love that about you and you and I. And I was like, that was our little bonding thing. That, <laughs> well, the other thing we bonded with was doing voices, you know, and with Matt Frewer, all of us doing these cartoon voices and stuff. And it made things so much fun. And yeah. it, it led to, you know, Matt did the voice of the Pink Panther after that. And he brought me into audition for them. And I got my SAG card doing cartoon voices. That's amazing. <laughs> so good. I'll never forget. Uh, to, and I don't hear. Here's the thing. I mean, I used to do, it was on my business card for a long time. Like it was, it was a sculptor, painter, uh, makeup artist, voices. <laughs> and, and I thought if only for somebody to go, oh, that, you know, the makeup guy who did voices, who was funny. We should bring him in. We should bring him in, you know, because he, he added a little something. And I, and I thought that'll be kind of fun. And it, and it died down eventually. 
I was introduced to a part at a party to a guy I was working with's wife. And he said, honey, this is the guy I was talking to you about. Uh, the funny one who doesn't have a voice of his own. And I, thought, <laughs> oh. I think I've gone too far. <laughs> Maybe I should dial back yeah. the, <laughs> the voices. And then eventually, uh, when I uh, when I got married and I had kids, you do voices for the kids, and yeah. they have no idea who you're doing. So <laughs> yes. it means nothing to them. You're just a weird dad. Yeah. So I'm like, so I've kind of calmed down. But to but I'll never forget Matt. You know Matt. You know certain people cue you into different voices and mm-hmm. i've done voices ever since i was a kid and matt um uh matt one day did uh sean connery and i was <laughs> oh, blown God. away by his john connery and it was such a simple simple and that's it's a the phrase. only voice we heard on the set for a month it was, after that. <laughs> it was such a simple phrase and it was and you know and and uh he said you know it's like and he was telling a story and it was like the medicine man, you know, and Sean Connery's in the medicine man and, and, uh, and he's up in a tree and there's a giant bobcat appeared next to him and he freaked out and he said, you know, and they, and he, he wanted them to shoot the bobcat and they, it's a protected animal. So they couldn't. And when he got down, finally, he said, uh, he goes, uh, why didn't you shoot the cat? And, and they're like, well, if the cat's protected, you can't shoot the cat. He goes, I'm the executive producer. When I say shoot the cat, you shoot the fucking cat. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt did it so well. After that, uh, that's all I could do was Sean Con- bad Sean Con- Matt's version of Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah. And and to this day, like I, I'll work with actors and I'll, um, uh, that I've impersonated or that you know that you know I've done four movies with Eddie Murphy and right. I, I I used to do a the Eddie Murphy and Eddie Murphy's version of other people. So <laughs> I would do Bill Cosby. But it was Eddie Murphy's right, version of doing Bill Cosby, Bill Cosby. Yeah. until I eventually worked with Eddie and I was asked to do Bill Cosby for Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> and it was um, Eddie's version. Of- and, it was Eddie, and I had to explain, I go, well, first of all, this is your version of Bill Cosby. <laughs> right. Um, and there have been many of those and many very funny, you know, Steve and I, we did a movie with um, Hulk Hogan called Suburban Commando. Mm-hmm. And in Suburban Commando, the other the star was Christopher Lloyd. Right. Who I had also done impressions of. Yes, so I remember. I remember Steve <laughs> with his video camera filming me doing Christopher Lloyd for Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> and uh, I have in my, I mean, I look around your office and you have all these great posters signed. I have the only signed posters I have in my, in my office are, I have a Back to the Future poster signed by Christopher Lloyd saying, Bill, stop acting like me. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and then I have, a, I have a, uh, an Arthur poster that's uh-huh. signed uh, from Dudley Moore saying, Bill, stop talking like me, which is really, <laughs> which are really great. Well, we're running out of time, but I want to hit on a bunch of things. Um, first of all, you did so many movies with actors who want you to be their personal guy. Jim Carrey was the first, or you did many movies with him. And like we mentioned earlier, Harrison Ford doing many movies with him. Tell me about that experience, because it's not the same as creating creatures, but it's making somebody comfortable in a makeup chair before they start work. It's, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. And it's my, I think it's a lot of it's my generation of, of effects guys, you know, who um, like Joel Harlow, who was with me on the stand and we both won Emmys for the stand. Um, you know, we got on movies. Uh, so we eventually all got in union and we got on these big movies and <clears throat> I was lucky enough to get, you know, one of my heroes was V. Neal, <clears throat> right. an amazing makeup artist. Yeah. Um, when I started, she had won her third Academy Award mm-hmm. for uh, Mrs. Doubtfire and had done Ed Wood and uh, um, just, brilliant. just a, a brilliant makeup artist. And and then again, epitomied what I wanted to do as a makeup artist. Like, you know, I, I eventually, 
after The Shining, um, and and I attribute this to you, and I, I thank you for it, but you were the person who allowed me to actually leave the shop because I had been a shop guy up to that point. And I, yeah. and I, you're, you know, you spend months and months in a lab studio with a, a bunch of guys, not on set and you're yeah. not on set or, and you go on set for like a few weeks, you know, luckily those movies were long, you know, but, right. um, when this, when the shining came around after our, we had such a successful collaboration on the stand. Um, and I thought, well, look, here's a, here's a, Here's a movie again, and and at the time it was none. Was it Union? I think no, it was Union. It was Union. I'd gotten this into was Warner yeah, Brothers. I'd yeah. gotten into the the year before. I had gotten into the uh, the, um, the, the Union, uh, the makeup Union on Species, a big ah, effects movie okay. that I did yeah. with Steve. Um, so that was wonderful. Well, The Shining came along, and it's a small cast. There's a lot of makeup effects in it, yep. and I remember thinking, this is my chance. Like if I if you agreed to it. Uh, to let me department head it. This would be my first department head job, which was a very big deal for me and a very big step. And how would I not agree to that after what had happened on well, the Well, we stand? had, yes, it yeah. worked out quite well. Yeah. And so I asked, and I remember sitting in with the, you said, I think it's a great idea. Absolutely, go meet with the producer and make your deal, and, and that would be fabulous. And I thought, look, we have one woman in the movie. I'll get a great woman makeup artist to handle her, and, and, and then we're set. And I remember sitting with the production manager of the movie, who I don't remember, and and him saying, look. Bob DeValle. Yeah, yeah and, he, and he said, look, you know, I have $20 an hour. And I thought, God, I made a fortune on the stand, you know, because we did just doing effects. And, I go, and that was non-union. Non-union. And I go, look, I'm I'm serving as your makeup department head and your effects department head. You know, I'm giving you two jobs in one. I'll be able to oversee everything. That's, a, that's I'm doing two jobs. And I go, so at least maybe you can do da da da. You know, it was below right. even union, you know, right. uh, standards. And he's like, he's like, well, look, he goes, I can call just any old timer to come in here and do this movie. Oh no, you can't. And, <laughs> and I was like, well, maybe you should call those old timers. I go, because that's not a lot of money. Eventually, we worked it out and that started that was my first department head gig we won an emmy for it yeah. you know amazing two in a row two in a row you know could i got I'll, I'll never forget i remember getting a knock on my door after winning and the door opened up and there was a, a gentleman standing there with a huge bouquet of black roses wow uh from stephen king i knew it, it had to amazing. be that's so great uh, congratulating and that was that was amazing I well wish i, 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 I want to talk about your newest project that as we're, we're recording it's going to drop tomorrow but beforehand we're still on the shining cynthia's yeah. here cynthia was the woman in room 217 and your makeups on her were amazing and uh, cynthia why don't you tell us a little bit about how this came about because on critters 2 you were tortured under a, a Zanti makeup. The the makeup effects artist did not take into consideration that a human being a human was being, under this. Yeah. And so in this case, now the scariest scenes in the Shining miniseries are with the woman in room 217. Not 237, mm -hmm. sorry, but uh, 217 as in the book. So tell me how this was different and how... Billy worked with you uh, and oh, and created something really <laughs> unique and, and comfortable for you. Billy, Billy, Billy. God <laughs> bless Billy. Yes, I, I'd become quite uh, horribly claustrophobic, which lasted for years after doing um, uh, Zanti in, in the Critters 2. Uh, you know, there were no breathing holes, no nose holes. I couldn't see. Covered in latex. I couldn't. I could. I'm yeah. giant, like ten pounds of latex over my head, and then shoved into this little tiny box. I couldn't even use my own skinny arms. Oh my God! Because so they had I, puppeted arms. Yeah. I had panic attacks and uh, didn't think I was going to be able to do it at all. 
luckily I had a couple of Valium on me. <laughs> and that always and the, the assistant makeup artist scolded the, make, the uh, man who sculpted it for me. He'll remain nameless. But um, she scolded him, and she scored out some nose holes for me. So, so you could we, breathe. Yeah. yeah. So I was a little loopy from the Valium, and I said, let's do it. And, but uh, on The Shining, Billy kind of created new yeah, techniques. What he did for me, because I... Fortunately, I still had my life mask mm. from doing the thriller. Well, you would also prep yeah. me that yeah. she was very that, sensitive, and I thought, we have to figure out a way to film. And what was yeah. great was that you had to come up with something unique, and uh, you just did little pieces, I remember, just mm -hmm. here and there. And um, it was just so light and so comfortable. And you also innovated um, the, the wonderful crepey well, water saran, the water logged, with, yeah. Yes, yeah. with saran wrap. Saran well, we had uh, look. There's a there was a gentleman at Steve Johnson's who was making things out of plastic. So we had already been playing with plastic with creature stuff, and I and and I'd always loved. You know, there's a woman in the bathtub for however long she's been in there. Oh, so yeah. you know that there's it's a bloated, shrunken, shrivelly <laughs> kind of look. And I thought, how can I do this really simply without covering her in a bunch of glue and and stuff? And I thought, well, what if we just took you know, saran wrap <laughs> and put it on her, which will get all wrinkly and paint it and maybe put some latex on it, which will turn milky mm -hmm. white and everything. And let's just try it. It was the first time I ever tried it uh, when we did. And I think I did a test on a hand right. first just to see yeah, if it would look it. good. And, and, and I'm like, ah, it looks kind of showed it to Steve. What do you think? And that looks kind of creepy and cool. And, 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 and we did, and that's what we did. And it, and it really gives an organic quality to it. I mean, my Completely. favorite shot is the feet. You know, yeah. you see the <laughs> and it looks so. It's right out of a forensic book. I mean, it looked yeah, yeah. And and I wanted to highlight that too, and just track those feet yeah. walking and leaving wet footprints in their wake as they go across. I have a girlfriend who watched The Shining and had no idea I was in it, mm. and she called me and she said, "I recognized your feet." <laughs> <laughs> and how wonderful though that she got to play both. You know, because yeah, obviously in yeah. the original movie, you have a beautiful woman and then the old the hag. hag yeah. mm -hmm. And it, that was such a neat thing. And, uh, and uh, easily why we won the Emmy for that show. Because that's such an iconic scene. Well, and you really invented technology there, too, with the painted saran wrap. That had never been done before. I don't, I don't think so. And, and, and now people do it a lot, quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Blazing I just trails. have to say, I was completely comfortable all day. I mean, it was a long day. All day in day, a bathtub. <laughs> and I wasn't even ready to take the makeup off. But while I was in the bathtub, the saran wrap started to slowly come off. But it looked great. As skin does. It looked great. So. You can't pay for that. That's extra. Yeah. That's good yeah. stuff. So what about the awards experience? You've won a couple of Emmys. You've won an Oscar. I mean, the respect for this work that is pretty much unheralded other than in the Fangorias and Rue Morgues of the world. Well, it, look, it's wonderful. The greatest, I guess the greatest gift we can, any of us can be given is the, is the admiration of our peers or our peers saying that they loved something we did. We're all very hard on ourselves as artists. I'm incredibly hard on myself. Matter of fact, the, the movie I won an Oscar for, which was Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, mm -hmm. and again, one of the reasons why Jim Carrey had been so good to me and... Um, uh, I thought 
was was horrible. <laughs> I thought, every day I thought, oh my God, this is just not good and it's not my best work. And I, um, So it's kind of amazing when, when we, we get so obsessive about it. People constantly ask you, they go, what's your favorite movie? It's certainly not a movie that I did a bunch of makeup on because I'm, I'm far too critical of my own work and yeah. hard. So the awards, um, it, 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 the reality of awards is it simultaneously brings out the best and the worst in people mm. because it does get political. You realize uh, uh, when you're on that side of the equation that for every winner, everybody else feels like they're a loser. Yeah. And, and there's the that part of it, which yeah. having always cheered on my friends who were nominated or got awards, and it was always such an exciting thing for me. You know, I, my ego at the time was like, I'm thrilled for my friends. You know, yeah, and what a wonderful thing. Course. When I was on that receiving end of it, the very first person that called me to congratulate me the morning after I won was Rick Baker. Yeah, of course. And, and then the next call was another Oscar winner and then another Oscar winner, all calling to congratulate me, yeah. who I didn't hear from were my best friends. Yeah. Who all kind of felt a little slighted and mm. a little jealous. And a they little, were competitive and it, with you. And, 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 and it's you not realize, a competitive sport. No, it's not. And, and again, you cheer on your, your coworkers. And, but it was an interesting side to it that you don't experience until you, get, you go through that. Um, that being said, going back to my high school, which, again, when I told my high school teachers that I was going to be a makeup artist and make monsters... They laugh, you know, they go, hey, you're fine. And I'll eat my hat when that happens. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the main gentleman was still there and, and literally introduced me and my Oscar with a hat saying, I will eat my hat today because <laughs> I said I would. And because he's come back to, to show me up, you know. Yeah. So that was that was one of the amazing moments after that. And, uh, and, and it, it is a really fun thing. Well, you've got a life filled with amazing moments, and and your job, by its very definition, is creating, and it's doing something new and special and unique. Right now, tell me a little about, well, 15 years ago, you made up your wife to look like a man. I did. I did. We're, as makeup artists, we're constantly asked to do demonstrations and to, to you know showcase a product or whatever. Uh, there's a company I work with, and they asked me to do a demonstration. And I was trying to think up something clever and unique. And my wife actually had the idea to, like, you know, we had just seen Boys Don't Cry. And mm-hmm. she goes, Why don't you make me look like a guy? Which I'd never seen done that well. It's right. always like you got to see it's right. Cameron Diaz with a beard, you know? <laughs> yes. and, so, and so I did a makeup on my wife, uh, and I made her look like a guy, a very European, suave, mm-hmm. you know, gentleman. And I have a wonderful memory of, of Dick Smith standing in front of her and staring at it and going, this is amazing. Like, what exactly <laughs> did you use? And Your God telling and, you you did it, something I know. And, and then yeah. and my and then my good friend Kazuhiro also stay, taking notes and looking at it. And, you know, and it was just a really sweet, a beautiful thing, memory. And I have photos of it, and those photos have made the rounds. Well, um, you know, uh, one of the actresses I've worked with is uh, on a couple of movies is Blake Lively. Right. And Blake Lively loves all those makeups and loves the, my wife as a man. And <laughs> uh, called me once and said, look, my, uh, I know someone who's doing a movie you have to do. You're the only person to do this movie. And, and I said, oh, really? What is it? She goes, well, it's somebody I know really well. <laughs> and you have to do this movie. Turns out the movie was Deadpool with her husband. <laughs> Ryan. Um, yeah. Which had now I've done two Deadpools and that served me quite well. Well, that now in turn, I get a phone call from Ryan saying, uh, there's a job you have to do. And it's with a friend of ours, and you really need to do this job. And I go, well, we're right in the middle of prepping Deadpool 2. 
I'll make time for you. Like you have to do this job. And it turns out it was uh, Taylor Swift's new video for her first album that had been out in a couple of years. And we did a, a zombie makeup on her. And and for me, it was it was very exciting because, again, been in, having been too young for Thriller yeah. and having done Thriller makeups on myself and all my friends, this was my way of doing a Thriller makeup on a very famous musician for a big as video. famous as it gets and and yeah. and yeah and at the time and when it came out it was like the number one video in the world for that right. week or whatever well lo and behold uh, a couple of weeks ago i get a call from an email from uh taylor swift's company saying taylor is doing a new video and uh this is what she wants to do and they send me a picture of my wife as a man <laughs> oh. <laughs> and say her whole concept for this video is her as a man and she's loved your makeup so much. That's what she wants is you to wow. do that on her. So uh, for those who, uh, you know, it drops tomorrow, but for those of you who get this or listening to this podcast now, it's already been out. Right. And, um, and it was such a treat to be able to do this. And she was so appreciative and so excited. And she directed and the video. She directed the video. And, and for her, it was such a thrill. She, when she did that, when we did the zombie makeup on her, she honestly said, this is the most fun I've ever had in my life. Wow. She goes, I could wear these makeups all the time. Like this wow. was so exciting for me. And we did a very similar to the, to Cynthia's makeup. You know, we did a full body with the feet and everything. Right. Um, and it's in the video for like, you know, like, <laughs> like seven, eight Yeah, seconds. but it looks amazing. It's very fun. Yeah. Um, and so for the man video, it's the entire video. And, uh, and she was again, so funny. And, um, I can only assume it's going to get a lot of attention, uh, her being who she is and it being kind of a controversial song, how men get away with everything and, right, and, right, uh, and her play playing. I mean, there was that. a performance video that came out first. And yeah. She, it, she teases with a couple of like yeah. little things that like, you know, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, but here's yeah, the real thing. So. The real deal. Yeah. Billy, amazing having you here. It's been way too long since I've seen you. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and we got to do it again. Cause we're only halfway. We do. We, uh, yeah, we have only the tip of the iceberg yeah. <laughs> and but, Cynthia. Thank you for your cameo. <laughs> that pleasure. You. Pleasure seeing the both of you for so, oh, after wonderful. so long. Thanks for everything. And can't wait to see what's next. Okay, I spoke too soon. You have a couple of stories about Stephen King that we have to share, so let's go over time a little bit. Uh, the hell with schedules. Uh, tell me, you got a couple great well, King there, stories. Because again, uh, being a huge Stephen King fan, I know he was on the podcast. I know he was, and he's so wonderful, and we have such a history with him. Um, we were doing The Stand, and there was a point where we shot a sequence with Mother Abigail playing guitar on her porch and she looks out and sees this vision of Randall Flagg, the walking dude in the, in the, in the cornfield. And as she's, she's playing the guitar, her hands start bleeding. And I wanted to see how that effect looked, you know, cause we had prepped it on the day and everything. Right. And I came to you and I said, is there any way I can see dailies? And you, and you had said, well, I actually think Steven has a copy of the dailies and they're in his trailer. You should go, check and see if you know you can go go watch tell him i said you should go watch him so i go knock on stephen king's trailer door and he and, le, and like you it's he had been there the entire time yeah and one of the few movies that he has done that on and yeah. even more well. on the shining yeah and so i knocked on the door and stephen answered the door and he was so lovely with us and and i said do you, is there any way i could take a look at the shot of mother abigail and he goes yeah come on in <laughs> And so I sit down with you Stephen. You do a King impression, too. I sit yeah. down with Stephen on the couch, and he cues up that scene. And, and we're watching. And again, it's footage. So it's take after take after take right. of her bleeding. 
<laughs> she's playing. And and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm technically looking at it like, oh, yeah, the blood's coming out good, and we see it really good. And, oh, there's a splash on the guitar. That's good. And and I look over at Steven, and Steven just goes, you guys are gross. That's disgusting. <laughs> it was and, your idea. <laughs> and I literally looked at him and said, you wrote it. <laughs> you know, so again, going back to, we're all squeamish, you know. But here's the master of horror himself, you know. For sure. Um, and then my then and then the the even better and the uh, the more amazing story is we were shooting on the Shining at a the Denver airport. Oh yeah, and and we were shooting in the 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 center of the airport where there were all the shops, you know. And I forget it was like one of Weber or somebody or uh, maybe it was uh, a Melvin. Van Melvin goes to Melvin uh, goes. Yeah, and so uh, we had a break between shots, and I walked over to the bookstore because I'm always in a bookstore. And I'm I go over to and, and find the Stephen King section, which there is in every bookstore. Yes. And Stephen walks in, and I go, "Hey, Steve!" I go, "I found your section." I go, Come "Check it out, see what they got." And he walks over, and he I don't know if he does this, he but does. he walked over and he put, picked out every book and signed it. Yeah. He had a marker and he signed every single book, and I was just amazed. And the people behind because it, it was still open, kind of, you know, the yeah, the. the yeah. The, the people who owned it were still in there and they were shocked and were so excited. They probably took all the books. <laughs> yeah. He does that. So he was fabulous and he signed every book. Well, then we left and he and I are walking together and there was a McDonald's across the way that was open and a lot of crew members were in, in line. Right. It was and better I, than the catering. Yeah, it was better. Than, <laughs> and I said, I'm going to go get some French fries. And, uh, and he goes, I'll come with you. So he, we walk over together and he and I are now standing in the back of this line of maybe seven people and he goes you know this makes me think of a of an idea and i go oh really what's the idea he goes he goes let's say he goes you've got a mcdonald's let's say you've got a guy our hero and he's driving down the freeway on a deserted free you know in the middle of nowhere and he sees a mcdonald's like you see you know a sign to get off the freeway and go to the mcdonald's i go yeah and we move up a person in line and he goes well the guy the trucker He's a trucker. He pulls off and he sees the McDonald's and he sees that the drive through is too full. So he's going to park and walk in. We, we move up a person in line. <laughs> so he goes now and you could see the wheels turning in his head because he's all just coming up with it as we're getting close to the window. And he goes, he goes, so now our guy, the hero, he goes, walks in the McDonald's and he notices a big, scary looking trucker guy with a little kid and he doesn't really think much of it and he goes up and he orders his french fries and his coke then we move up another person in line <laughs> now we're like one person behind you know the 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 ready to order and he goes so now he gets his fries and he walks back and he looks down he happens to look down at the kid as he's walking out the door and he looks down on the table and he sees that the child has written, help me, in his French fries. And we walk up to the register, and, and I look at him, and he goes, what does the guy do? And, I, and I'm like, uh! <laughs> I was like, I was like, immediately, I had chills. And I'm like, oh, my God. And the lady's like, what would you like? And, I, <laughs> and that was it. And he just, he just, as we're standing in line, he came up this thing, and he goes, he goes what do you think? What would he do? Like, he goes, awesome. interesting, right? I go, yeah. Um, okay, yeah. those were stories worth <laughs> worth uh, making time for. Billy, again, thanks for joining us on Postmortem, and can't wait to the next time. 
If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world know about it by reviewing and rating it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have comments or questions for our Ask Mick Anything shows, send them to producer Joe at Joe Russo Tweets or to at Mick Garris PM on Instagram or Twitter or the Postmortem with Mick Garris Facebook page. This is a brand new address, so don't forget it. That's at Mick Garris PM on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to see my vintage and recent video interviews, making of documentaries, and audiobooks of some of my short stories, go to my website, mickgarrisinterviews.com. Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes.